Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Chad Perman, the founder and editor-in-chief of the prestigious online film journal Brightwall Dark Room. Chad first started the site on Tumblr in his living room in 2009, after years spent wondering if there was a way to talk differently, more emotionally, more humanly, about movies. Almost four years and 220,000 followers later, he decided to expand things and launched a magazine or journal version of the site in June 2013 with a small staff of friends and collaborators devoted to looking at movies in unique ways. Together, they've put out a new issue every single month for the past seven years and worked to create a vibrant and inclusive community of writers, readers, and supporters. Having earned a BA in English and Cinema Studies from the University of Washington, Chad received a master's degree in Marriage and Family Therapy from PLU. Additionally, a practicing mental health therapist, Chad has worked in the field for over 15 years. Currently in private practice, he works with both individuals and couples and specializes in work with writers, artists, and creatives. I'm honored to have Chad on to talk about the intersection of film and therapy and all things Brightwall Dark Room today. So without further ado, welcome to Watch with Jen and Friends. So how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? Uh, well, I feel like uh, the adapting happened already a while ago, so now just just kind of feels normal. But uh, I'm okay, you know, considering that's, that's my go-to answer. So um, considering everything is awful everywhere and uh, within my own little world, I'm, I'm doing mostly okay today. So Good. Are you doing yeah. like mostly phone appointments or video appointments? Oh, yeah. I, I left... Um, so I, I, my office was right in uh, a city called Kirkland, Washington, which at the time was where the very first um, coronavirus death happened. So oh, wow. I was about two weeks ahead of everyone in terms of being like, uh-oh, this is, this is not going to be good. Um, but we were still going to the office, still doing normal stuff. Um, I flew out to L.A. in uh, like a, a, the day before everything just changed forever. Um, so... Uh, I had a business meeting down there and then um, literally came out of the meeting and my wife was like, you know, kids are, kids' school just got canceled, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks has coronavirus, the NBA shut down. Um, I was like, okay. So I get on a yeah. plane, come home. So uh, so that was the last time I'd been in the office was, you know, March, I don't know, 9th or 10th, not knowing it was going to be my last time. And then, um, yeah, that was, that was it. I've not been back since. So I've done every appointment from, from right where I'm sitting now. Um, yeah. Just, just up in a room in our house with the door closed and um, like probably 95% video calls and then uh, I have a few clients that do it by phone. So, well, yeah, I haven't, haven't seen a client in the office since early March. I know. It's a whole new world now. It, it very much is. Yeah. It just, this yes. feels like the normal way to do it now, but uh, obviously it was not normal at all for a long, long time. And, no. It took some getting used to, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's normal. I still don't like it as much, but it, it is normalized at least. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, we've heard a little about the origin story of Brightwall Darkroom, 
mm-hmm. in your bio and from Brianna Ashby as well. But mm-hmm. I'd love to know more about the early years, why sure, you started the site and what it was in particular that you wanted to explore. And if you happen to remember any of the early pieces that you wrote. Oh. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to talk about that last part. Um, okay, gotcha. <laughs> I mean, I, I can mention them, but yeah, they're not they're nothing anybody should ever ever uh, read or look up. Um, yeah, and you know, I, it's funny because I just realized as I'm trying to figure out how to, how to tell the beginning, um, I, I've written it various times or various places, but I've never, never actually talked about it with anybody. Um, so uh, it's a good question. Um, I, I think, you know, the... I, I, my memory, or at least what I want to remember, um, or some some combination of the two, is um, being very frustrated by a lot of the stuff that I was reading online, um, mm-hmm. and not just online, but but mostly online at that point, um, and not really in a way I could put my finger on, other than this is not. <laughs> I'm tired of reading this. This is not what I want. Um, so that that was swirling around in my head for a while, and then. My uh, we had a due date for our son um, for some, some point in early July, uh, so I took a month off um, in advance, thinking well, he's going to be born somewhere in here. Um, but ended up with at least for the first few days just having nothing to do, and uh, so I was like, I need I need stuff to do. I'm not I'm not good when I don't have stuff to do. Um, and it, I was like a lot of people back then. I know it's changed, but uh, I was very uh, into Tumblr, and um, so I, I just was like, well, I, I'm sure like we could just do some kind of informal movie group thing here. Um, and the only rule is going to be that, you know, just don't write a review. To do it any other way. Just don't make it like a standard. You know, no stars, no thumbs up. Um, no offense to those systems. It's just there's enough of them already in the world. So yeah. let's, just, let's just have fun in some way. Um, so it was very much supposed to be a casual thing. Uh, I probably have ideas like to that effect um, to do something random every other day so it wasn't it certainly didn't announce itself as a big <laughs> life switch at that point um and i so yeah a few, a few people are like yeah sure we'll do it what do you used to do um one of the earliest people uh who, who hardly ever gets credit in the origin story so i want to make sure she does was uh tess lynch um because she had already had enough of a following through she i don't know if you're familiar with this recording um but it was a, a website we all read back then uh, and she was a big writer on that site um, and a couple other places. And so she was like a real writer that we were bringing on um, and a friend of mine. So I was like, it was going to be great. Um, so because of that, uh, people paid attention to it. So I, I'm pretty sure without her involvement. So she wrote the first piece. The first piece officially um, was called, well, it was on Stealing Beauty, I should say, first before I say it was called. Oh, okay. Um, so it set, But it set the whole tone for for the early years because uh, it was there was much more humor in the site back then and she said in the piece and she called it stealing booty Tessa's involvement then um, because she had a following that's what brought uh, attention and people to the, the site and um, and I think it said uh, I was pretty busy at that point because my son had been born so um, it kind of had to be a democratic approach where I was like, I, I certainly did not approach this as, Hey, this is my thing. It was supposed to be, Hey, this is, um, this is the thing we're all doing together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then pretty soon I realized that if there was not <laughs> any kind of an organizing person or principal, then it was just, you know, once every month something would go up. So, um, 
just to kind of corral things, I started saying, okay, let's try to do it this way and let's you know try to have a certain number. So we just had some kind of informal rules. Oh, gotcha. um, but the main the main point was by far, um, hey, we can just write here however we want. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I mean, we can literally approach these things any way we want. Um, and, and yeah. like, you know, humor was there. Um, but then also there was from early on this really, it, it became really noticeable that people were responding to, and I personally liked better um, stuff that was just really, really well written where the focus was on the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just letting people kind of go off any way they wanted with that. So, uh, again, you can, <laughs> can tell this was not a, a singular idea. It, it kind of grew organically over time um, into something where uh, people then started sending us stuff. Um, and so then we had to kind of have an editorial process of, like, we can't take all the stuff, so what do we want to pick? Mm-hmm. So then we had to have a little bit of an editorial staff. Um, and another person who was there at the beginning um, was – uh, her name is Michelle said um, who'd been a friend of mine for many years and so she'd had some editorial experience uh, oh, so we just kind of cobbled we just kind of cobbled stuff together um, and then um, at the time Elizabeth Wilcox who is now Elizabeth Cantwell um, mm-hmm. she got married since I've met her but um, she also had a, an editorial background she was getting her PhD at USC in poetry and we were like okay um, this is great too. She can, she can be on the staff. Yeah. So she, I mean, she, and absolutely she gets a ton of credit for um, setting, setting stuff up that is still to this day um, very much in place, you know, several mm-hmm. years later um, in terms of saying, okay, like, you know, here, here's how you edit. Um, here's, you know, here's how you set up a submittable account. Here's how you do all this stuff. So um, once she was on board, it was much more like a, uh, a real, kind of a project that we were doing and it felt like it had some momentum um so then we just had fun for like three or four years and around 2013 uh this is going to separate the the older listeners from the younger listeners but um for a really small window of time there was this idea that um apple was creating this new thing called the newsstand that was going to be on every phone and for oh, about yeah, I remember two months. That. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> for about two months, um, or not two months, yeah, well, press-wise, about two months, everyone's like, everyone's going to the newsstand, this is where everyone's going to read their news, there's not going to be any more, you know, websites, are, it's all going to happen on the newsstand on your phone, this is the future. Um, and there was also a thing started, uh, just a standalone app for, um, I don't even remember the focus of, but it was just called The Magazine, um, written or built by this this gentleman named Marco. Um, and I saw that format and I was like, we, we could do something like this. I'm not sure how, but we could do this. We could, we could figure out a way to get an app built. You know, we could get, yeah. um, we could get this like magazine. We could be in the newsstand cutting floor. Like this is going to be, you know, um, this could be a whole new life for me. Um, and at that point we had about 220,000 followers on Tumblr. So I said, well, if we can get like, one percent of those people to pay three dollars a month um we we could actually you know make money doing this and Mm -hmm. have it be a real job and not just this thing we're all doing for fun so that was the original idea um and you know necessity was uh the mother of invention from that point on so we found a a company um I'm, i'm out near seattle um and there's a there was a company at the time called type engine that was trying to build these app magazine things for this newsstand coming and they were offering to do it for free for 
you know, they had a contest or something. So we sent in an application and they picked us as one of their people. So once we had that, we're like, okay, someone can build the app and you can stop me at any time if this is going on too long. Oh no, you're fine. Um, and so once that was on, uh, or once we had that going, we had about a two month lead up time. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll just make a magazine. So that was where that whole concept even came from, that this was going to be not a website, but like a journal or magazine uh, format. So that's where we came up with themes, and that, that all credit to Elizabeth for that. She's like, you can't just put out a random <laughs> stuff um, unless you just want to do it for a few months because we're just going to run out of stuff, and it's going to get too you know random. Um, yeah. So she's like, "We here's the idea. Let's try it. You know, um, <laughs> so, you know, 80, what, 84 issues later, that's, that's still how we do it. Um, and then we said, oh, we can't just take pictures that we find on the internet, like on Tumblr and put them up there with, you know, gifts or whatever. And, um, and so that's, you know, Brianna, I think she probably mentioned, um, she had started with us as a writer and she was actually connected to Tess, uh, um, from real life. They, they knew each other from a, a, a job at the mall or something years ago. Um, oh, okay. so all I knew about Brianna other than, that I liked her and she was Tessa's friend and was a good writer. Um, I knew she had an art degree uh, from RISD. So I was like, well, I've heard of that school and yeah. it's a good art school um, <laughs> as much as I know about art, which is very little, unfortunately. Uh, and I know she could do it. So let me just see if um, she'd be willing to try. Like I, I had never seen a single thing she'd ever done. Um, she wasn't, oh, wow. this was not the Instagram days where people were just posting art everywhere. So I know. Uh, yeah, so we, we, we had a phone call that I remember very well um, where we just kind of talked about what, what should this look like. Um, and I think if I'm remembering right, I'm, I'm sure she'll let me know if I'm not. Um, I believe the original inspirations were like the New Yorker uh, and Cook's Illustrated, which I didn't know at all, but she was like, no, Cook's Illustrated, that's the way to go. It's like, okay, whatever that is, I trust you. <laughs> um, so we just whipped up the first uh, the first thing by by having essays all done by the staff people at that point. Um, and we put it all together and then she drew, I, I believe she did art for every single piece back at that point. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So it was nine or 10 pieces. Uh, I think there's one with photos, but the rest was all, all her art. And, you know, from the, the first thing she sent me, I can tell you for a fact was, um, and I'm sure it's online somewhere, but it was a picture of January Jones from Mad Men. And I was like, okay, whatever she's doing, this is, this is wonderful and way better than I was, had in my head um and this needs to be the aesthetic and this needs to be the look um so you know thankfully that all just really really worked out really well in a, a way I still feel very very lucky about both for knowing her and, and uh and for what she can do um which I I, i'm sure i don't need to tell anybody about it because they already know but uh, it's amazing it still amazes me so um and Tony Stella, and, and I yes, mean, yes, he, he came on later, but yes, oh, okay. um, and 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 for sure, want to give him credit too. But in the early days, the first, well, I don't know how early, the first fifty episode or episodes, the first fifty issues were all Brianna. Oh um, my goodness, that must have been so much work. <laughs> it was, and you know, at a certain point, I'm 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 sure it's on the website, you could figure it out. But at some point, uh, it was obviously not sustainable for her to do, you know, ten yeah. to twelve pieces of art of the kind that she does. Um, I know. Every month. Yeah. That's just, yeah, of course that wasn't possible. And we could, if we were paying it all back then, it was very little. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was just, I, I didn't want to. <laughs> she, wear she, her she, she probably didn't want to keep doing it that much. And I probably did not want to uh, abuse uh, the good fortune that uh, that we had in having her. So, um, so she cut it back, but she would always do four or five pieces usually. So about half the issue would be art. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so that, again, was just opened a lot of doors and led to a lot of things where um, if anyone ever tries to give me credit for any of this stuff, I always try to say, like, yeah, there were so many just, you know, fortuitous things or lucky things or just knowing the right people randomly. Um, mm -hmm. And then Brianna is, like, the best example of that because, yeah, that her art has opened endless amounts of doors for us um, ever since. It makes people take it all more seriously right from the start. Yeah, um, true. And, and your writing, though. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't want to downplay that. Um, I just want to make sure to give Brianna her credit. Oh, of course. A lot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that was, I mean, that's how the whole thing kind of launched. And then we've just been, so I'm the only person that was there from the start of that in 2013 that's still there. Okay. Elizabeth, Elizabeth left um, once she finished uh, her PhD. Um, okay. To go off and teach English, but during the pandemic, she decided um, to. Well, the short version, she decided like I don't think teaching is going to be the greatest field to be doing next year. Yeah. Um, and then she said she just uh, she just texted me one day. It's like I, I want to come back and be a part of all that stuff again. Let's do it. Um, so she's oh, back nice. now. Fantastic. She came back about four or five months ago. Um, oh, that's terrific. So yeah, one of the original people is back again. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always just been a great group of people, and you know that's that's the part people don't get to see as much is just the amount of um, kind of just fun that we have. You know, mm -hmm. some, some some days are, are dead and nothing happens, but a lot of days we're chatting about obviously the the stuff that happened. Um, you know, at ten o'clock my time last night with the with the Trump COVID news. Um, Do you know I had no clue until this morning? Like, yeah, yeah. I, know. I, I, I mean, watched a late movie and just went to bed, and then this morning, yeah, my yeah, yeah. I and mean, I recorded the the thing with Travis last night for Inherent Vice, and um, it was just wonderful. It was a nice little place where you just had a great conversation and you're just kind of ready to kind of relax. And all of a sudden, I just saw the news and I was like, oh my god! So you know, <laughs> we, all, we all at some point turned to Slack and and just meet up and be like, what is going on? And yeah. Um, so and then also yeah it's it's just it's just a good group of people and they're all really talented um, uh, and it's just I just feel lucky all the time that I get to work with such cool people um, there's there's no <laughs> there's no like jerk in the bunch who we all have to dance I mean it's just it's just a great group of people um, and, oh, and consistently has been theory. even though the people have changed yeah so it's really um, that part of it I guess managing as it's grown bigger um, you know to 13 12 or 13 people now. Um, that takes more skills than I <laughs> have had to learn how to have over time. Um, okay. But it's never been hard because of the people. So uh, nice. Yeah. yeah, and I think the only thing I left out was the writing part, which of course is the biggest part to me. Um, <laughs> and that was that was uh, from early on when we noticed um, one that I, as people started paying attention, I didn't like putting stuff out there that hadn't been edited or that where the sentences were kind of weird or you know not mm -hmm. not quite. Uh, I don't want to say professional, but they weren't of the quality that I wanted them to be. So, um, sure. and, but while at the same time we couldn't pay, you know, professional editors to come in. So we, we all just kind of learned, uh, you know, from starting with Elizabeth knowing and then showing the rest of us kind of how she does it. And then we kind of have kept that same philosophy ever since then, where we really do put a lot of emphasis on getting sentences, right. <laughs> um, okay. you know, like literally we get that granular with it all the time. Yeah. Um, but then on the, the bigger picture, we don't want to change the writer's voice. We, you know, we want to keep it in their voice, and we want to make sure that it, there's not a house style so that you're not reading the same, the same, the same kind of thing every day. 
Um, and then writers really like that. And so then, you know, word kind of spread that like we were, we were good to work with and we let you do what you want, but we also tried to make it better. And um, mm. a lot of times you get this wonderful art piece on top of everything. On, you know, so it was just a lot of good things came together um, that allowed all of that to just happen. And um, yeah, we've just kind of been doing it ever since then. The rest is history. The rest that is, is history. So cool. yeah. 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 So that, that's the long, short version of the story. <laughs> All right. That was really interesting. Oh, I, like, hope no, so. <laughs> I don't oh, know if this is from anybody so. but me, but that's, oh. that's, that's the origins as best I can tell it. Well, there's so much I didn't know. That was really interesting. Well, you started out academically as an English and a film major mm-hmm. and then pursued therapy for your master's. What yeah. first got you interested in film and or writing about film? And did that yeah. have any bearing on your decision then to go into therapy and also focus on treating creatives? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's all um, absolutely all connected. Uh, if you okay. zoom, zoom out wide enough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, writing was first. Um, I've liked to write since I was a kid. You know, one of those mm-hmm. people who said I wanted to be a writer from a pretty young age. Um didn't really know what that meant or how you go about doing that, but I just, you know, I like to write stuff. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and I think around some, at some point in high school, like, like most people who end up pursuing, um, any kind of career in, in writing or English, uh, I had a teacher that really believed in me and, um, said, Hey, it was actually about movies, which is crazy now that I think about it. Um, it was some, some experimental thing he had asked us to do in like our, honors English class or something, but uh, it was to write some some scene or some story or something, but have it use like movie characters. So I used, I don't even think I'd seen the movie, but I used uh, the Sugar Cane character from Some Like It Hot and oh, okay. someone else. And I, and I did some fictional scene with these two characters and the teacher said, hey, um, this is really good. And you should think about, you know, doing something with writing for, you know, something, have that be some part of what you do when you grow up, so to speak. Um, so that that's when it, became more formalized like okay yeah i want to do something with english um so eventually i got into the university of washington totally set on you know english major writing emphasis uh still no idea where that was going to go but that was the plan Mm -hmm. and i did that for a couple years and then uh they actually introduced the cinema studies program at the university of washington oh nice Uh, yeah so i was on the ground floor there and i guess it must be 20 some years old now but um I was there, and it was very lucky to find another great teacher uh, that just inspired me a lot. And so I was like, okay, now I want to be a film major, but I had so much of the English major stuff already built up. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, okay, I, you know, I, I'm not as crazy as it sounds to get two degrees, but at this point it would be silly not to do both yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up. But but certainly my sophomore year, into my sophomore year of college is when uh, I realized, like, no, film is definitely going to be what I do in some capacity. Um, mm-hmm. I, probably was thinking screenwriting or something like that. Um, and then I, I guess the big, the big turning point was um, working at a video store uh, here in Seattle, which is still, still there. They went to a nonprofit a few years ago, but I, I talk about every chance I can get cause it's the best still, I think the best video store on the planet. Um, they're called Scarecrow video. I was just going to guess. Yeah. yeah Scarecrow. <laughs> so um, I was there and I worked there for three or four years and ended up, um, being a uh, the manager at some point, um, and 
it was just like going to film school all over again, but in a, a way cooler way where you could just pick your own path. Um, so it, my life was just surrounded by movies at that point. I, was, I talked about them all day um, yeah. with people. Um, it's the kind of store where people come in to ask the people behind the counter what they should watch. Um, so it was very much just constantly, you know, watch. We could take home eight movies a night, so nice. I don't think I ever actually watched eight in a, in a night, but I certainly took eight home all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know the sections were arranged by directors, so you know you could just literally start with like you know Altman or Almodovar and just go all the way through to Zinnemann. And I mean, it would take you years, but you could do that. So. <laughs> So that tracked enough with how my brain worked that I just started working my way through all those movies and um, never never found a reason to stop doing that. I, I'm still still doing that now. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, at, at that point, again, still no career plan, but writing and movies had to be a part of it. Um, and then I got married. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I needed to have a job <laughs> that wasn't, a, wasn't at a video store. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I did uh, apply for a bunch of MFA programs, and my wife was applying for a bunch of master's programs in her field. And we just kind of said, wherever we get in with the best deal, three of the one of us will go. And she got a full scholarship to UT Austin for her program. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. At that point, uh, it was August of 2001, we moved down to, to Austin for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was a, <laughs> I was a Starbucks barista. Um, with okay. with my two film degree or my film degree, my English degree, could get me like, <laughs> a coffee store job. So uh, I did some ad copy and other just soul killing writing jobs that were not what I thought of as writing. Um, well, she went to grad school, uh-huh. and then we moved back to the area. But at that point, we realized, or I realized, um, there weren't a lot of options for writing other than you know be a freelancer and live like that for the rest of your life, always wondering what was going to happen each month. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I know a lot of people that do that. I have no idea how they manage that anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. Or, uh, I, I don't know what my or was there. Yeah, so that, the, or, yeah, or get a teaching job where I'd have to move to whatever college had an opening. True. Um, and yeah. we also were like, no, we want to live in Seattle. This is where we're from. This is where we want to raise our kids. Um, and so she just, at least my memory of it is she kind of said, Hey, you, you need to get a real job. <laughs> so I don't care what it is, <laughs> but figure something out. Um, and so, you know, I, I'd been in therapy at that point um, for a while and I just was always fascinated by that as a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and my own mom uh, has her master's in psychology. So I, we were test subjects while she was going through graduate school. So I took all of the tests that psychologists give you as a kid. So my mom could oh, do work. So I was just, you know, also interesting. They are, they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you my Myers-Briggs when I was like nine years old, I was like, I got it. <laughs> That's um, amazing. And yeah, so, so that, you know, there was a fascination there. Um, and then I found out that it wasn't a prerequisite to be a psychology major to get into a lot of these programs. Uh, it was what most people did, but it wasn't a requirement. Uh-huh. So I was like, Oh, let me frame this as, you know, I, I can bring a different perspective to the, to the class or whatever. So however I framed it, thankfully worked. Um, and they let me into the program. And so, yeah, we moved back um, to, uh, to the Seattle area. And then I went out to, to PLU and spent two years there getting my master's degree in uh, starting to see clients like three or four months after the program starts. They throw you right into the fire. And um, wow. I've been, been doing that since, yeah, like, early 2004 um 
through took off running. Yeah. Yeah. Through about like an hour ago was my, my last most recent client I saw. So yeah, it's, okay. uh, that's been my life until, um, until bright wall dark room came into it. And then, then it's been kind of a dual, you know, my daytime job and my nighttime job, so to speak. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to date myself here as well, but back in the self-help craze of the 90s, (laughs) I remember the launch of a book series. I don't know if you remember these. They were Uh for women. Well, they were trying to be really hip, so they went, these are girls' guides, so that kind of thing. (laughs) But they were to film, and they were called Cinema Therapy. Do you remember them? No, I, I don't remember. I've seen them now. Okay. Uh, because I've looked up that term so many times. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, but I didn't realize that I've never met anyone who actually read that. You read those? I found them in a used bookstore when I was going to film school. Oh, and awesome. so, yeah, I just picked them up and then I think I wrote a paper on them. I don't think either woman actually has a background in therapy. They're just <laughs> like film studies people. Okay. Okay. Uh, but they were actually, I mean, they're kind of cheesy. Yes. But in a way, some of the mm-hmm. advice they give is actually pretty wise. They okay. recommend, like, hey, if you're a codependent or you're in a dysfunctional relationship or you really want to yell at your mother but you can't do that, <laughs> like, watch Mildred Pierce or <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, they, see the other side. With Mildred, oh, that's cool. So it wasn't like yeah. watch uh, whatever mid-90s movie. It was actually, like, good movies. Yeah, some of them were. I mean, I guess they had written like a bunch of film books. But what I was going to say is, what is it about film and the empathy that it inspires that is so therapeutic? Like, even if you don't read these cheesy books, but you're just watching a movie when you feel down or you just had a breakup or a bad day at work. What is it about movies that kind of helps you through that, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's part of it that's uh, a magical part that I, I couldn't explain. Um, but the parts that I could explain, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty much the most immersive, uh, all-encompassing, let's say, art form there is in terms of you can't, and this is no slight on these other forms, but you can't hear a painting. Um, that's true. You know, it's, it, this combines everything. It combines, you know, music and images and writing and direct, so it kind of combines all of them into this experience where when you go in, what that does to your brain, and I think, you know, there's a whole field of bibliotherapy, so people already knew, okay, with, with books, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm sure you saw those uh, studies a few years ago, because all, all of us readers posted them all over to feel good about ourselves. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just saying about how, like, you're more empathetic if you read more, all these other kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's more about it's just the function of stories and what narratives in general can do um, for humans and, and how they've always been learning machines of one kind or another, you know, whether that was the oral stories passed on by ancestors thousands of years ago or campfires or whether that's watching a movie now. It's, it's serving the same central purpose of allowing you to see the world from someone else's point of view and or substitute your own self for any number of the characters and both see your own experience reflected or try to imagine yourself in some of these situations. Um, the difference with movies being there again, that immersive factor where it's not just hearing a story that you're imagining in your head, which is great. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of value to doing that still, but this thing puts all of it just right into your brain. It just pipes it directly in uh, almost the way that you watch a dream is how you watch a movie. So yeah. when you look at how big of a field, whether you believe in it or not, like dream analysis and those kinds of things are, which I, I don't do that, but 
mm-hmm. the people that do that there's so much rich symbolic material in every dream and i think there's a lot of that in movies too we didn't you don't have to tap into any of that to enjoy a movie, which is the other great mm-hmm. thing. Um, you can have one person sitting there, <laughs> you know, watching a movie for some therapeutic value and another person just sitting there to, you know, have yeah. a good time for a couple hours. And both of those people could come away with a good experience from the same movie. Exactly. Um, so it's just always there if you want to tap into it. And I certainly don't want anyone to think I sit there and watch most movies like as a therapist or wondering <laughs> about the symbolic quality, but it, it's usually one of those things. And certainly, you know, doing bright wall, dark room, a lot of the essays that we get um, over the years have some aspect of putting them, putting the writer into the piece in some way. Um, and a lot of that just comes from my own interest in, or originally anyway, my own interest in seeing like, again, I don't care as much whether if someone tells me they thought a movie was good that doesn't mm-hmm. tell me that much about them or the movie or yeah, whether like, I'll like why? it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why um, do you think that? Yes. And when we get to why, again, I can geek out for hours about the cinematography on something, but mm-hmm. I don't come away from those discussions feeling like I learned anything about life. <laughs> I just learned you know, more about movies. And for me, the hook is always what, what are people thinking? What, you know, and it, it's easy to see, I guess, a connection as I'm talking about that now between that and, listening to people's stories in a therapy room which is essentially what they're bringing into you is you know here's this narrative of what's going on with me um Mm -hmm. so i think that that's probably the uh as much as there's an origin pointing where it's probably just being fascinated with how how people make sense of the world and whether that's through you know their experience or through a good book or uh, a movie um i just i'm always really interested in hearing a lot about that And, and i think both in getting to know the person and also uh learning a little bit more about about life yeah no that's excellent well i know that the via the bright wall twitter account i should say which (laughs) i really love there are certain films that you guys (laughs) like cherish above all others and some that are definitely of my generation like moonstruck and midnight run i'm so excited every time i see those um (laughs) and a number of other ones you guys all have great taste But I'd like to know for you personally, what are some of your favorite movies? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I you know I guess I can give you the big the big reveal uh, that I do about ninety five percent of the the tweets on that account. Okay. Um, yeah, and we we've always kind of kept that. I don't I don't know whether it was my idea or someone else's, but it, it works better as a mysterious uh, <laughs> group voice. Okay, um, sure. Certainly, I him in slack at least every month saying guys please do more i don't want this to be you know i have a twitter account i don't need to be doing this um <laughs> but i say to answer your question because you are if you like that twitter account you already kind of know what what my favorite movies are because okay, sure. they're, they're the ones that keep showing up on like i as far as i know i'm the only person on staff that likes joe versus the volcano but i have refused to let that go um so that's why <laughs> i do see it, that one right well dark room is associated with that is because I fell in love with that movie, you know, working in Scarecrow video when I was 23, and I'm still in love with it. Um, <laughs> and so that's why it looks like we're the biggest promoters of that movie of anybody, because I can't help myself, and I, and I literally have to keep myself from, you know, okay, when was the last time that we put this up there, because this is going to look ridiculous <laughs> at some point. I hope I thread that line okay. Um, but yeah, Moonstruck was as another one that I, I mean, I could watch literally every day of my life and be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, broadcast news. I mean, so you can see that yes. you know, I'm dating, I'm dating myself. I'm not talking about anything like super modern. Um, 
so th- those are some of the early ones that I love, uh, mm-hmm. or early in my life anyway. And exactly. uh, when Harry met Sally, I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. overall, I think the same year even, but <laughs> I guess, I, know. I, guess I, yeah. I didn't see that when I was a kid, uh, like young, young, like, cause in 1987, I would have still been under 10. Um, okay. so I wasn't seeing them then, but whenever I did see them, I, I later realized, Oh, whatever was happening in America that year seemed to, seem to work for me because I love a lot of movies from that year. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I got into other movies too. Like, yeah, like most people of a certain age, um, there, you know, Pulp Fiction was certainly a turning point. And I, I was a teenager when that came out and um, I think I saw it three or four times in the theater. Yeah. And that at, least at the time, I mean, what you, what you can't, yeah, what you can't, what people now can't understand is that there was a time when there was nothing else like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to see it now. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, okay, yeah, I've seen this before. Um, or some sure. lesser version of it. But at yeah. the time, it was like there, there was nothing like that on the planet that I was aware of. And, no. um, you know, all, all, of the, all of the imitators good and bad that came afterwards has just kind of diluted that central fact of like, this was really important for a reason. Like this was a game changer. Uh-huh. Um, so certainly that's, um, that's kind of set me off on the path of uh, both avid movie watching and um, getting more serious about uh, movies and both on the nerd side and, you know, who's in what and what, you know, whose filmography do I want to know everything about and all that stuff. And then also just on a, Oh, whenever I'm feeling bad, I can watch a movie. Or oh, whenever friends are, we can watch a movie. Yeah, there was just that just became a central part of my life around that around that point. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I got into all the stuff. It, none of this is going to sound original, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, definitely went through like a Scorsese phase. Uh, I was big into somebody who's not really okay to be big into anymore. Um, but it was a huge, huge Woody Allen fan. Me um, too. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Still, probably somewhere have passwords that are uh, some version of Annie Hall. I know, or, right? <laughs> um, and if, every time I, you know, think about it, I was like, I should, I should find whatever sites those are and change them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's, you know, that's obviously um, not not someone who I really follow or watch. I don't think I've seen his movies in a while. But there was a point um, mm-hmm. until a few years ago when yeah, I'd seen yeah. every movie. Yeah, and I would go to like triple bills, like you know, days off in college, and um, just he was a big part of uh, the development of me. And movies. Um, so, I mean, it's weird to think about now because it's just nothing that really crosses my mind anymore, but that was very formative. Uh, uh, and Annie Hall, the same way when I saw that, um, I think I, it was like a introduction to film class or something. Whenever I saw that and Nashville in the same week, I was like, oh, Nashville. Wow. Whatever this movie <laughs> stuff is between Annie Hall and Nashville, I did not know movies were either of these things. Uh, and now, whatever this is, this is, this is the, this is the thing for me. Um, and really, that's that's when, yeah. So I guess that happened before Scarecrow by, by a year or two. So that was the that was the starting point on the movie obsession stuff. Okay. Um, and then I just had a lot of stuff to catch up on because I was raised in a very religious household and okay. um, literally could not watch even PG movies all the way up oh, until, wow. like, you know, I mean, I remember fighting to see... <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. Uh, Dick Tracy, which was you know rated PG, and I was uh, got to be near twelve or thirteen, and I I could not win that battle with my parents. Oh, Madonna um, though so, was probably too I know. Much. Well, no, yeah. Well, I that was that was a, that's a great point because that was the whole reason that I was blocked from that movie was because of her stupid character. I know. Because um, I got the soundtrack thinking, well, 
you know, okay, this will be cool. I'll have the soundtrack on tape. But then it literally, and hopefully I'm one of the few people that knows this, um, when you open up the soundtrack, like normally where the lyrics would be, it was just like this extended, like, drop-down, full-length, like, picture of her in some sexy dress doing some sexy thing. So my parents saw that. <laughs> and they're like, no Dick Tracy ever. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, thank you, Madonna. Um, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I eventually got to see Back to the Future way after it was out and way after I was you know, past the age. So anyway, it was very, very uh, – I missed a whole bunch of movies. So a lot of people will say, ask me why I'm so into those 80s movies. I'm like, I think it's because I, everyone I knew saw them, and I just didn't see any of them until I was, like, mm-hmm. older. Um, That's interesting. We kind of yeah. opposite – <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was yours I, I feel like i've totally oh no you're fine so far, so. Uh, my parents were very i don't know liberal or just open like um the first movie that i remember seeing that actually had actors and it was moonstruck in the theater oh wow yeah and what's crazy is it opened you know the same day that broadcast news did so those oh, are wow. two of my Literally favorite movies. So I'm thinking, yeah. watch, that was probably down the hall. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. But yeah. anyway, the, it didn't do much for me in, like, first grade at the time. Oh, sure, yeah. I was, it was three generations of Italian-American women. So that was kind of special, at least. <laughs> yeah, but, sure. um, but I do remember as soon as, like, Nicolas Cage hit the screen, just how the audience... Yeah. just reacted I imagine yeah and so he was like the first bigger than life thing i was obsessed with was probably <laughs> nicholas cage yeah. and then after that like i had an older brother but he wasn't even that much older just three years okay so my dad just decided you know what mom's at work let's watch die hard and oh, wow. this was in second <laughs> grade so and uh, Krause was telling me last night about watching Sounds of the Lambs at Nines. So apparently, I missed out yeah, on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are yeah, living it up. I guess so. But anyway, for years, I had like nightmares of men with mustaches that looked like Alan Rickman and like needed um, Bruce Willis to rush in there and save me. But see, yeah. I was a little young for that one. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that between Travis thing. and I, I guess we're kind of aberrant. But yeah. No, I'm yeah. jealous of I'm jealous of the nine year old used. Yeah. You guys were yeah. living it up. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Well speaking well, of I, Travis, I, don't, I don't think I've we... ever oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No. <laughs> I was just gonna say I don't think I've ever actually talked to someone that saw Moonstruck in the theater, so that, that I just want to say how cool that is. I know. You, uh, That's a whole very life. cool thing, even though you didn't realize how cool it was. Oh, I was yes. I was I was old enough to go to a theater. I just Oh you know, no, I, said, I know. I'm sure it was rated PG at least, so I, I was not going to be able to see that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was. I can't remember if it was PG or PG-13, yeah. actually, but yeah, I don't know. But speaking of Travis, should we embarrass slash celebrate sure. him a little bit? Absolutely, so yeah. When I spoke to him uh, mm-hmm. for the podcast, he is, just for everyone listening who might not know right off the bat, but they should, he's a oh, writer yes. and a contributing editor of Wall. Mm-hmm. He talked about sending in a resignation letter every time he turns something in or like being like, Chad, you know, if this is the last one, I understand because he finds the act of writing just so stressful and he's way too hard on himself. I always tell him. Oh, you noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Notice it just a little. <laughs> so I have to ask, how is it editing Travis? Um, you know, it, it, it's not, at least on my end, um, hardly ever stressful. Yeah. Uh, 
except for except for watching yeah i mean i i I don't want anyone on the planet to take credit for any of uh any of travis's essays because they're yeah for the most part he part of his process at least we've been working on this uh for a while with him just just for his own mental health um is to let people see it before it's perfect in his eyes and so he would get very locked into that space um and that would lead to all kind of machinations around you know, I can't ride. This is impossible. Uh, you know, it was just, it was, I guess, less stressful to watch him go through all of his stress. Yeah, I um, know. But I would always tell him, like, I, I literally have zero, zero doubt that this is going to happen, that you're going to be able to do this. Um, mm-hmm. If you want me to look at something earlier, I'm happy to. You know, we tried, tried to open doors for him and just give him a safe and supportive space to be like, do you, you know, we want you here to do your thing. We don't want you to do something yeah. perfect or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. want it, want it to be you. So, uh, you know, part of it isn't. He has not literally sent me a resignation letter every time. Um, yeah, I think he's teasing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a little bit of a shtick with the uh, with uh, the self. You know, um, getting on himself all the time. Um, I know. But the uh, the actual process is is a less dramatic version of that, where he'll usually just say, "I don't think I can do it. Uh, it's due in a week, and I am stuck on the first pair." You know, so, some version of that I would often get. Um, and I think you know, there's only one point when he actually literally is like, no, for real this time, I don't think I can do it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, that's the beauty of what we do is that we, we have other things. We don't, if you can't do it, okay. Um, yeah. yeah don't, don't, don't sweat it. But he, uh, don't sweat it is not advice that works <laughs> with him particularly well. No, I'm he the same it. way though. Yeah. yeah and I probably <laughs> would be too if, if I wasn't running everything and I had yeah. to try and make someone happy. But, um, but yeah, we just like having him around. I mean, he's he's a uh, great guy. I'm sure since you know him, yeah, he's yeah. The, the the persona does not match the person entirely. No, um, in terms it's just of the so online nice thing, I mean, he's not. Work. Yes, he's. Yeah. I mean, that's that's our little you know staff joke. It's like yeah, if anyone knew how much of a teddy bear that guy was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he'd lose all of the the yeah. noir whatever the 70s noir cred. credibility. Yeah, like the, he's not the the guy with the tattoo in the picture who's gonna beat you up if you look at him wrong. He's, the yes. exact opposite of the guy. Yeah. Um, and just a wonderful human. So, uh, yeah. And that piece that he ended up not turning in, you know, that was the uh, six months later, came back to it. And that was the once upon a time in Hollywood thing that has been this huge, probably, probably the biggest piece he's done. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it all works out. And so that's why, you know, one of the, one of the lessons I would pass on to anyone in a position like mine is, um, that if you have good people around and you trust them to do their thing and you support them in doing that uh, and don't get in their way too much um, but offer to be there if they need it, like nine times out of ten, that produces exactly the thing that everyone's happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, cer- there's certainly no yelling behind the scenes and there's no <laughs> there's no. no pulling our hair out about deadlines. It's a, it's a very flexible kind of like, okay, we can make this work. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the model. We can make this work somehow. Um yeah. with deadlines or with whatever. So we just try to approach it in a way where it's not adding to anyone's neuroses. Cause we, you know, every writer has more than enough of those already. Um, yes. So our, our, our job as editors for the most part is to try to encourage and stay out of the way of uh, triggering, you know, further like breakdowns and other things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that tries to inform a lot of how we approach everybody, but, but no, Travis is great to work with. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> not, not a problem in any way. 
No, I didn't think so. I thought we would, you know, just tease him a little. Yeah, you have one talk about. Yes. <laughs> and I, I'm well, pretty sure he said something last night about how hard it is to work with him. And, not, you know, it's just like, I'm not even going to contradict him here, but I know it's not true. I so, know. Yes. Yeah. Kind well, of his thing. Is so well respected. It's filled with, of course, the gorgeous art, the thoughtful prose. And I know many people listening would want me to ask what you guys oh. look for in a submission and if you have any oh, advice yeah. for new or younger <laughs> writers that are just starting out, like even oh, if they're yeah. not writing for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that that second part we, we talk about literally all the time. Um, so I'll get to okay. that in a second. But what was the first part I already Oh, just um, advice oh, for anyone for. who wants to submit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. I think it's on your website. We, yeah, it is now. I mean, because we we've been asked some version of that so many times, and it yes. you can probably tell by <laughs> um, <laughs> how I don't give a short answer to anything. It's really hard to explain. It's you know that whole you know it when you see it, which yes. is a ter- terrible thing to tell someone trying to submit to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the best advice by far for anyone wanting to write for us is. Absolutely, 100%. Read not just one. Read like three or four pieces on the site. Like make them from different issues, maybe different years. Yeah, absolutely. It won't tell you if you just read one person's, then you're going to try and write that essay, and that's not what we want, right? We don't want it. Mm -hmm. We don't want your version of a Travis essay. And the interesting part behind the scenes is how many when you have a writer with a unique voice or a strong voice, like you know Travis or Fran or Kelsey or any of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they start having pieces regularly on the site, submissions start taking on like, oh, here's here's someone trying to do a Kelsey. Oh, look, someone's trying to be Fran. Um, oh, gotcha. And it just doesn't it doesn't work because Fran is Fran, and and we don't yeah. want someone else to be Fran. We want you know Joe or Jane or whoever to. So don't don't copy someone else's. Read a few different things and get the idea that like I can do anything here as long as it's a got a good point. And the sentences are good. Yeah, um, we absolutely are elitist enough that we will reject things if there's, you know, typos or sentences that don't just make sense to read out loud in the first paragraph. No matter how good the thinking is or the other stuff, we're just not going to accept that piece. That, mm-hmm. you know, right there we know, okay, <laughs> this yep. person didn't even really take the time on this to make sure that they got, you know, the period in the right place there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do get, you know, we do get plenty of submissions. So the the standards are much higher now. So I, I do feel sorrier now for people because it's harder to sure. get in. Yeah. Um, and we all, you know, we feel bad rejecting every piece we reject. So we get to go mm. through that multiple times uh, each month. Oh, yeah. Um, but advice-wise, it, yeah, just read the site, um, get a sense of what it is we're doing, and then ne- definitely now read the, the guideline thing that, um, that Ethan and Zosha wrote up. Because mm-hmm. that's the best we can crystallize what it is, but we're still looking for something that's somewhat ineffable. Um, and, and again, I know that's a hard standard to hit for a writer, uh, but we definitely know the pieces that'll work when we see them for the most part. There's okay. pretty unanimous consent. It's not every once in a while someone will advocate really hard for a certain piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I should say we, we vote on all these things as a team. So. Um, so some, sometimes someone will make a case for something, and you know if they argue it well enough, we'll say, okay, and it'll win it over. But for the most mm-hmm. part, the ones that are going up are the ones where it's like, okay, yeah, pretty much everyone on the staff is like, yeah, this is this is the one for us, or yeah, this is the piece. Um, Definitely. So I know, I don't know how particularly helpful that is to someone oh, trying to no. this, but that's what we're looking for. Oh, no. And then for new writers. Yes, yeah. new writers, uh, just, 
just write, just send yeah. us stuff. Um, we, I mean, we just published something from a, an 18 year old uh, girl from the UK um, I don't know, about a month ago and it was great. And mm-hmm. uh, so w- we certainly will read anything from anybody if it, you know, meets the basic requirements of looking like an essay visually, we will read it. Uh-huh. Um, we do read every single piece that comes in. If anyone ever wonders, like, did they even read this? Yes, we absolutely read it. Um, okay. And, it, you know, getting familiar, like if, if you send us something and it looks like you put very little time into putting it together, we're probably going to put very little time into the response that we send back. Sure. Um, but if you're someone where we're like, there's something here, it's not quite there and we don't think editing maybe could work for this one to get it there, but there's something we like enough here that we're going to let you know that in the feedback that we give you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get a lot of younger writers that hit that mark where it's like, oh, yeah. And if, especially if you're, you know, 20, 23, 20, whatever, uh, early 20s and writing something that we almost accepted, like, don't worry. We, were, we will accept mm-hmm. something from you at a certain point. It, it is coming. Just uh, keep sending us stuff. And we also, you know, when we reject stuff, um, for whatever reason, we'll happily tell them two or three different sites that they should try sending it to that we think it would work well for. Oh, so, well, that's nice of you guys. Yeah. And again, not if not if they didn't put any effort into the submission. Oh, of course. Yeah. But yeah. If, if someone put an effort into it and we think, like, there's something here that we either, you know, send us more stuff or send this to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, film days or film school rejects or whatever it is, um, any of the number of sites that we're loosely associated with. Um, we're happy to, you know, have a pipeline that makes sure this will this will go out somewhere. We want we want your piece to be out there. We want young writers to have, you know, the confidence that comes with getting stuff published. Uh, we want to support them in, you know, that's I guess one of the other pieces I haven't talked about is uh, we take a lot of pride in having, you know, the fact that like Angelica started with us is still something oh, wow. we're super proud of because we're like we can't take credit for what she's doing now. It's amazing, um, but we can say like yeah, she she came to us. She helped, uh, or she worked with the editors, um, and she'll always still, to this day, give, give credit to Elizabeth for that Keanu piece that everyone associates oh, with us. Oh, such a wonderful piece. Yeah, and that's, that. you know, Elizabeth did a lot to help Angelica find what she wanted to do there. And then that became a part of Angelica's process and her voice. And then, she, you know, since then, she's taken it in amazing places that we can, again, take no credit for. Um, mm. But just the pride in being like, okay, like, she found us. She got to play around for a little bit in, you know, the, the minor leagues where we are. Um, oh. And then she got then she got to go up. And, and look, she just absolutely killed her shot, you know, in, in, in a good way. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and every, we, we look forward to reading her pieces now just as much as everybody else. So yeah. it, having a, a pipeline where people move from our site up through the ranks in some way is a big thing that we uh, – both emphasize and, and there's a point of pride for us to, to want to do and support people because it's hard mm-hmm. to get into that world and it's hard to know how to get into that world and there's very few people out there telling you <laughs> yeah, how to do any really of it is. so mm-hmm. um, you know resources wise we can't do that with everybody but we certainly try to do what we can because we really really believe in both a lot of non-white male voices mm-hmm. being out there um and also just giving those people uh, the whatever validity we, we give them by publishing their stuff so that someone else will take them seriously somewhere else. You know, if we can do that, that's fantastic. We love it. Perfect. Well, the last question, I know I've kept you forever oh, here, no, no, no. <laughs> is I know right now, especially a lot of creative people have been struggling with focus or just their output. So I wanted to ask on behalf of them, 
<laughs> because the world is what it is yeah. right now and there's such exactly. a high level of stress and uncertainty and this is your area can you give everyone just a little bit of free therapy today oh, or sure. just yeah. a piece of advice <laughs> on how to keep doing what they love to do or do best sure um i mean i would start and, and the most important point is that it's absolutely okay what you know whatever level of productivity you're able to manage right yes, now yes definitely um, is okay and i'm not saying that to make people feel better as much as say that's that's just the reality like Mm-hmm. Getting on yourself for not being super creative in the middle of a, pandemic. a global <laughs> pandemic, uh, you know, and, and uh, everything else going on in 2020. Like, if you can function even halfway normally and make meet basic requirements of life, um, mm-hmm. six and a half months into this, you're doing great. Like, that's yes. you're ahead of the game already. So, um, so I guess I would be specifically speaking to people where creativity is not necessarily, <laughs> or production is not a. Uh, yeah, a thing that they have to do to make money because obviously if you have to make money and live off of it, you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but is, is there anyone else who's just like, well, I used to you know write write songs and now I don't do that anymore. You know, I used to shoot these little short films and I just have no interest or I can't, I have no good ideas or. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just know that's okay. And what I'm hearing from almost everybody, and, and I'm happy to tell people personally myself, I have not written a single thing this entire time, this entire period. I've I've tried three or four different times um, okay. for extended periods, and, and they've all ended up in the uh, mm. online equivalent of the garbage can. So I get it, too, and I'm not able to produce stuff, so I look for other ways that are creativity adjacent. Like, uh, you know, editing, I believe, is an art form to some degree, and I love editing. I can still do that because I don't have to generate the uh, the initial ideas. <laughs> I just have to help people yeah. shape those. Um but yeah, looking for other ways that you can do that are that are meaningful to you, that are also um, in some way related to the thing, even if it's not the thing. Um, so you know, I, I do think I do put a lot of credence in the idea or the the theory that part of the reason a lot of us are having a hard time generating much creativity um, or productive creativity is because a lot of what artists of all stripes draw, do is draw from the world, and there's just yes. not. I mean, I don't know about you, but the world that I would have to draw on is the the, the walls of my house, <laughs> my mm-hmm. wife and my two kids. And if, if it hasn't happened in here or with them, I haven't yeah. had a lot of experiences to draw from. I haven't, even, I I haven't even seen an interesting fight at the Starbucks. I mean, there's just nothing, right? <laughs> We're not going anywhere. So a lot of times when I worked with writers in normal times, that was some of the, you know, quote unquote therapy homework that they would have is like just, you know, literally just go out into the world and you know, take notes on interesting conversations at you know at the coffee store. Just walk around Seattle and you know notice what you see. It's just that stuff's super important to a to a writer. Yeah, um, is, is to gather data points, mostly subconsciously. Uh, so some some people will say, oh, I went out and I didn't even see anything, and I'm like, well, you did. <laughs> you, <laughs> might not, you might not know it yet. It's going to come to you. You're going to use you know the weird shirt that the person on the bus is wearing on your way home in some story five years from yep. now. It's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Um, yes. It's all, it's all grist for the mill. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's just not a lot of grist, I guess, to, to butcher that, that phrase. There's just, there's not a lot of grist for the mill right now. And that's why it's okay. And that's also why you have to either try and do something that is related to creativity in some way that still gives you some of that charge, or you just True. have to say, you know what? I trust that I know the kind of person I am that was creative. And I know that when the world goes back to some semblance of normal, I will go back to that person. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't 
I can't prove to you that I still know how to drive, but I believe I still know how to drive a car. <laughs> um, so it's just a lot of that stuff. There's gonna and there's gonna be a wake up. Uh, that's not the best word for it. Uh, there's gonna be an acclimation period for everybody when the world gradually goes back to normal because we are all not doing normal things for such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is just one of those things. It, it feels like it's this elusive, you know, creativity thing. Maybe it's left me forever. And I was like, it's it's. I've never met a creative person where creativity left them forever. It's just not even once. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. left them for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not been there when they've wanted to be there, but it's it's never gone for good as long as you still want to invest, you know, your time and energy into getting back into it once you're able to. Very true. No, I think that's hmm. great advice. And sometimes it comes out in interesting ways, like just because oh, you're not, yeah. you know, um, doing the thing you used to do, writing, you might discover yeah. a new side of yourself, oh, like yeah. crafting what, or whatever. Crafting, the top. Yeah. Yeah, photography. Absolutely, so. yeah. That's a that's probably better advice than mine. Take take up no. a different art form. They have no experience. No, really. That that's a great way to kind of expand the different neural pathways for what the brain thinks about all this. So yeah, take up photography. Do paint by numbers. Do I mean just do something that that gets gets that creativity, you know, piece of the brain active in some way, and you never know what's going to happen from that. Very good. Well, I think. You gave everyone just great stories, so much wonderful advice and things to think about. Thank you for for listening. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.